Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. speaker today, that you have a handout on your table. I want you to grab that. Um, It's very minimalistic, and this is intentional. I asked our speaker to make a minimalistic outline for us today because I want you to fill in what resonates with you and what God has put on her heart today. Um, I told you last week that I really value having uh, women of different ages up here on the stage. Last week, Sharon Morris um, spoke to us. She's a little bit older than me. This week, just a little bit, Sharon, just a little bit. This week, we have someone who's just a little bit younger, by definitely just a little bit younger than me, who's going to share. And I want you to value this, ladies. I want you to value hearing from women at different stages of life as we are all applying the exact same scripture to our lives. And so we are blessed to have my friend Haley Rojas uh, to speak to us today. So Haley, come on up and I'm going to let Haley. Wow, look at that. Great applause. I'm going to let Haley introduce herself, but let's pray for Haley and she's going to speak to us today. Oh Lord God, we do praise you. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Son. We praise you, Holy Spirit. We praise you because you are at work in our lives in amazing ways. And I've seen you at work in Haley's life, and I just give you all glory, honor, and praise. God, would you move her aside? Would you speak to us directly through Haley? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what you would have to teach us through the reading of your word as we have done this week, as we've discussed already, and as now you're going to share through your servant. So we we pray, God, for wisdom and for just courage to obey. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You want your name? Okay. Well, good morning, you guys. I hope that the conversations each of you had at your table this morning were a blessing to each of you. Um, For those of you who do not know me, my name is Haley. Um, My husband, Mark, and I, we've been married for about 10 years, and we have two kids, Eli, who is almost six, and Elsie Claire, who is just a little over two. Is that me? Anyway. Uh, Mark works here on staff as the worship pastor, and I get to stay home with Eli and Elsie, and we are currently homeschooling our way through kindergarten. Do y'all hear that? Is that just me? Am I crazy? Okay, thanks. Okay, well, we'll just keep trucking along. Sorry, guys. Um, So this week, I have the pleasure of walking through 1 John 2, 3 through 17. And like Sharon mentioned last week, the way we live our lives can be a light for others. Dispelling darkness, revealing impurities, and shining the love of Christ for those around us. But I think on the other hand we can cast a shadow instead. The way we live reveals what is in our hearts, what we believe about who God is, who we claim Jesus to be, and what that means for each of us as we walk through life. The way we live is a clear picture of the way we view the sins in our lives as well. It shows us and it shows the world around us if we see our sins clearly or if there is still something hidden in the darkness. 
In 1 John 2, 3 through 6, we read, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I'm not sure about all of you this morning, but the thought of walking in the same way that Jesus walks just seems a little bit daunting to me. You mean I am supposed to love others perfectly? You mean to say that I am supposed to keep all of those commandments, even the hard ones, where Jesus expanded on what was already written in the law? Murder now means hating one's brother, and adultery is simply defined as looking at someone with lust? Those are so hard. So how can I do that all day, every day? Spoiler. We don't, and we can't, at least not on our own anyways. And not if we don't first define the sins in our lives, seeing them for what they are and bringing them into the light. Not if we don't have a clear picture of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. When the Spirit reveals hidden impurities to me, I often feel like this little kitten blinded by the sun that is shining full blast in my eyes, but also basking in the sun's goodness. This little guy looks pretty content, I think. So while the Spirit reveals what has been in the darkness in my own life, it can be very painful. And yet I also know that it is a gracious gift from the Spirit to reveal these sins in order that the love of God is perfected. But this blinding, this conviction that can only come from the Spirit cannot happen until we abide. Jesus, or John, sorry, John is going to use this word 24 times in 1 John alone. And Jen Wilkin titled this study, Abide. So abiding must be a key element to each of us walking in the light. Abide. It means to remain and endure with Jesus. This means that each of us live our lives as if Jesus is with us in all things. Maybe it's when we're walking through hardships. Maybe it says we receive and walk through a scary diagnosis. Maybe it says we watch helplessly as our children remain sick. Maybe it's as we experience the throes of toddlerhood and those crazy teenage years that I have yet to experience, but I've heard a lot about. <laughs> Maybe it's as our marriages feel like they are on the brink of disaster. Maybe it's as we watch friendships that feel like they are crumbling as we enter new seasons of life. But abiding also means we live life as if Jesus is with us when we are talking with our friends. You know, gossiping. When we are scrolling our phones and looking at our computers, abiding means that we live life as if Jesus is right there with us, even when we spend our money. I recently listened to a sermon Jonathan Pecluda did on the topic of abiding. 
While I really enjoyed all of his message, one of his key points really stuck with me. And it was this idea. He said, abiding is about being, not about doing. It is about being connected to Jesus, not about doing all of the right things. It's not about doing all the right things just so we can look like the perfect Christian. And it's not about loving others simply because, well, that's what we've got to do. So to look a bit more into this idea of abiding, I'd like to look at John 15. We read in John 15, 1 through 8, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So it's clear from Jesus' own words that the fruit doesn't just show up on its own. It doesn't show up because we are doing all of the right things things. It is produced by us abiding or remaining connected to the source of the fruit, the vine who is Jesus. Just think about the fruit of the Spirit song. It isn't called the fruit of us doing what we can to look good or the fruit of us doing what we can to buy God's love or the fruit that just happens because that's what good Christians do. It is the fruit of the Spirit and this fruit is produced in each of us as we abide or remain in Christ. The fruit we produce from being connected to the true vine is good for eating. It is what God's love perfected looks like. We aren't simply trying to replicate this fruit by doing the right things, like going to church, volunteering and serving in our community, tithing, reading our Bibles, or even participating in a women's Bible study. These things happen in our lives because the fruit is ripe in each of us as we abide in Christ. Now, a talk like this really wouldn't mean much, I don't think, without personal stories. So I'm here to share a few about myself that hopefully bring you a little bit of comedy and comfort, but personal exam examples that ultimately point each of us back to the consistent and sustaining work of Jesus. These instances, I will say, are not things I would usually share, especially from right here, because they are just not pretty. They are things that have been hidden in the darkness. I carry a lot of weight and even some shame from them. I'm almost haunted by the shadow I cast with my own life. This period of my life is one that now I can look back and I can praise God not only for my salvation, but also for his continual pursuit of my heart and his never-ending sanctifying work in my life. A time when it finally just clicked that I was doing a lot of good 
things, but I wasn't actually abiding. And so my life was fruitless. While I refer back to this as a time when, I am also well aware that this is a continual struggle. I'm not up here trying to say that I'm magically healed, that I don't have struggles anymore, so please don't hear that. But I'm hopeful you will see that by the power of the Spirit, my motivations changed, and I thank God for that. Anyone know this reference? Raise your hand, because then you're my people. Okay, there's like 10 of you. That's great. Uh, Just kidding. And I mean the OG Mean Girls, not this new one, because I don't know anything about it. But um, I am a millennial, and so this movie played a big role in my understanding of the cool crowd. I spent a lot of my high school years, so this is before knowing Jesus, and sadly, a lot of my earlier adulthood, after my salvation in Christ, pursuing the cool life. It looked different, sure. I went from partying, poor decisions, being a terrible bully in high school, to pursuing success and efficiency, just being the best at everything and all things in my early adulthood. Different ways of pursuing the things of the world, the things John warns us not to love in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, when he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. As you can see, before my salvation in Christ and after, I pursued the things of the world. I have struggled and I continue to struggle with all of these. So first, the desires of the flesh. I spend way too much money on coffee. Anyone else relate? Yeah, I use coffee as my own personal therapy more often than I would like to admit. I had a hard day homeschooling, coffee. In the throes of potty training, let's go get a coffee. Or even, I had the best day ever where both of my kids were angels and they listened. Maybe we even make, made home-cooked meals all day and we did crafts. Well, now I just deserve a coffee, <laughs> right? Overconsumption is a real issue in my heart. But specifically, overconsumption when I feel out of control. When emotions run high, either good or bad, And I used coffee as an example, but I could just as easily have said sweets. I rely on basically anything sweet to push me into some good times. And the world whispers to me, that is just fine. The world tells me, you deserve it, mama. It has been such a hard day. So go spend that $8 on a latte or binge eat that sleeve of Oreos because you deserve it. And because these things are going to make you feel better. Everything is going to be better. And I'm here to say that I have leaned into that lie more often than not. But I've also seen when the Spirit has blinded me with the light, when he has opened my eyes to overconsumption and reliance on coffee and sweets. And just as a sidebar, one very practical thing that I have done in the past is to tell some very close friends, hey, 
I'm not going to go get coffee or, Lord willing, binge eat some Oreos because I have this conviction that maybe I'm using these things as a band-aid in my life instead of relying on Jesus. And these friends have been amazing encouragers. They have been women who I can run to who point me back to the sufficiency of Jesus. Women who remind me that the cup of coffee I feel like I need or even deserve won't fix the brokenness in my parenting. Women that remind me that the Oreos I really want to shove in my face won't heal the hurt that the day left. So if you have some girlfriends around you, tell them. Be honest and open. Help one another walk in the light. And if you're sitting here today and you feel like you don't have those people, find them because they could be in this very room this morning. Second, how about the desires of the eyes? Anyone else feel a bit envious of someone? I often see this in my own life as I compare myself to another mom. Like, man, if only I could look as trendy and cute as she does. Or if only my kids listened as well as her kids listen. If only my marriage looked as solid as hers. It's a vicious cycle of if-onlys that drag me into this comparison almost daily. And last, the big one, the pride of life. It comes out in me thinking I deserve better than I have, or most often thinking I deserve better than what someone else has. I remember when I worked at Temple High School, I had a mentor over me. Her name is Sharon Goldman. She was just one of the most wholesome, kind people that I had ever met. She cared so deeply for her students, for her craft, and she cared a lot about Jesus. And I remember here I was, a first, second year teacher, uh, a pastor's wife, and I was just full of frustration and contentment for other people because I really believed I deserved better. Honestly, I believed that I was better. This attitude, this pride of life issue in my heart affected then how I interacted with people. And it affected how I talked to people. And it really affected how I talked about people. I remember around my fifth year of teaching, Sharon told me that I seemed different. Like maybe I actually loved people. And I remember being fairly offended by this at first. Like me? Are you kidding me? Me? Come on. But this spirit, as he always is, he was kind to open my eyes. And this is why I have to admit that I was basically like Regina George, even after Jesus. And if you knew me seven to ten, maybe even five years ago, just as a disclaimer, I am sorry. Many of you knew me, either from a distance as Margaret Haas's wife, or up close as more than likely a tyrant. I wasn't worried about your life. I wasn't worried about how I came off to you or really anything outside of myself. I was completely unaware of you. I was simply focused on efficiency and doing good things simply because that is what good Christians do. And if anyone got in my way, they became a burden really fast. I'll give you an example after I stop crying. <laughs> okay, who here remembers Sharon Morris who spoke with us? last week. Of course you do. She did such an amazing job. And I'm 99.9% sure that if you have had the pleasure of knowing her, you know that she is the sweetest. She makes everyone she talks to feel like they are loved and heard. 
She is a gift. And unfortunately, <laughs> she had the not-so-pleasurable experience of knowing me nine to ten years ago. And I was the worst to her. Don't judge me too quickly, though. I never punched her. I never yelled at her. I didn't do any of that, okay? Here I go, qualifying. My table knows. I love to qualify things. Anyway, um, so I didn't yell at her, but I didn't give her the time of day because while we were both volunteering at Hope Pregnancy Center, our hearts looked very different. Sharon was focused on building relationships, praying with and for women who are walking through crisis pregnancies, and providing for people who are hurting. I, on the other hand, I was focused on efficiency and just getting things done. I just wanted to be the best. And in case you care, my role was to simply enter data into a computer. And I really thought that I was going to get a gold medal from God for this. Sharon, though, you know her, you love her. She is the sweetest, and she remained the sweetest, despite how ugly I was to her. She was always so gracious and kind to me, to everyone, but I, I was just there to get my gold star for the day and walk off knowing that I had done the Lord's work. And even when the Lord convicted me of this and I was faced with apologizing to her, which only happened two short months ago, because conviction and pruning is a process, y'all. It takes some time. But Sharon remained the most gracious. She was gentle and kind and understanding and so forgiving. So thank you. And I'm sure that there are others here that I have treated the same way. Like a burden. A stepping stone on my way to God's favor. And I am sorry. I'm sorry that I did not walk in the same way in which he walked. I'm sorry that I did not keep his commandment to love my sisters in Christ well. What a shadow I cast. But despite this, guys, the Lord has again and again been gracious, gracious enough to convict me so that I might see that my love for the world has been greater than my love for his people. And praise God for that. I'd like to look over a few more of John's other passages as we continue looking at what it means to abide and to love others. First, in John 13, 1 through 11, Jesus goes through washing the disciples' feet. And starting in verse 12, the text says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And again, just kidding. And a little further down in the text, Jesus says in verses 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And again, if we look back at that John 15 passage, right after Jesus talks about abiding or remaining in him so that we might each bear good fruit, he says this, 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no, no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear good fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So this love we are called to, it is not a love others as you want to be loved. Jesus again takes it a step further. He says, love as I have loved you. This is the hard work kind of love. The love that says, despite how you make me feel, despite maybe what I know about you, despite the differences I might see between the two of us, I choose to wash your feet and lay down my life for you, sister in Christ. This love is not about us. This love is about loving others out of an extension for our own love for Jesus. And it's not in order to gain anything, not just because that's what Christians do, but because we are each branches remaining in the vine, and therefore we produce good fruit, the fruit of love. And if that isn't enough, a reminder that they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another should be. Our love for one another, meaning the way we approach each other, the way we live life with other members of the Capital C Church, and the way we speak of others is a direct reflection of our understanding of the love of Christ. So sisters, may we walk in the light. I'd like to end this by praying 1 John 2, 12 through 14 over each of us, if you'll bow your heads with me. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your gift of salvation and for your continual pursuit of us. Thank you for the perfect example of love. Lord, I pray that we might walk in the knowledge that our sins have been forgiven for your name's sake. May we be assured that we know you who is from the beginning. May we lean into the confidence that as we abide in Christ, he too abides in us, giving us the strength to overcome evil. I pray for relationships in and out of this room, that our hearts would be knitted together in love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.